God's providence. We're in Deuteronomy 6 in our journey through the book of Deuteronomy, and it matches well with, with where we are as a church. And so I'm going to read a, a portion of Deuteronomy 6 with you this morning uh, before we begin, and then we're going to, to begin to look at the text, and we'll read through more of the text as we go through it. But I want to read to you from Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, a section of scripture that, that's called the Shema. It comes, that word Shema comes from the Hebrew word that means to hear. You see the, the, the phrase, the, the passage begins with the word hear. That, that's the Hebrew word Shema, hear, listen, obey what God has to say. And so if you would, stand with me as we read uh, this portion of Deuteronomy 6, really the foundational passage of Deuteronomy, of the Pentateuch, really of, of all of the Old Testament. Here's what we read in verse 4 and following. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you go, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a, a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You may be seated. May we be encouraged through God's word this morning. And Father, we do ask that you would help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be obedient on the basis of our great love for you through faith in, our, in your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Maybe some of you uh, read the story this, this past week, a horrific story of this, this couple and how they had imprisoned and abused their children. I, I wasn't able to even click on the link and read the entirety of the story, but throughout the week I saw little, little blurbs on different websites, different news sites, and it's just it's hard to even comprehend what took place there. You don't have to be a Christian to have your heart just recoil at the, that story. I think it's part of God's common grace that all of us, uh, all human beings, would just feel this profound sense of, of disgust and, and horror that two parents could harm their children in, in such a physical way. And yet, I, I think there is something special about the grief that a, a Christian feels when they encounter stories of physical harm or physical neglect. You see, as, as Christians, we have a unique perspective on the physical things that exist in this world and, and the physical things that God has given us. We are those who believe that we have physical things for eternal purposes, that God has entrusted us with physical resources so that we can use them for his eternal glory. It's, it's an amazing thing that we believers have, we believe that we have, an opportunity to use temporary things for eternal purposes. And so when we encounter a story of a physical need, we who are believers in Christ Jesus, whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel, should be at the forefront of those meeting those physical needs. We see meeting of physical needs as an incredible opportunity to take something temporary and gain eternal reward with it. And as Christians, I think we also have a, a special response 
to spiritual needs. It's not exactly the same, but our hearts also should be greatly troubled when we encounter spiritual neglect. Our hearts should be troubled because we recognize that we have the resources to meet spiritual need. And so when we encounter spiritual need in the world, it should bother us. We should be troubled. It should cause our hearts to be unsettled. Why does spiritual need exist in the world? Why are there spiritually impoverished children? I think there's many, many reasons, but there are a few that should perhaps bother us more deeply. You see, sometimes there are spiritually impoverished children because we don't care about meeting those needs. Those of us who would identify ourselves as part of the church oftentimes would not care about those needs, and that's part of the reason that there are spiritually impoverished children. There are spiritually impoverished children also because those of us who are believers sometimes have a very narrow understanding of which children we are responsible for. In other words, sometimes people who are Christians would say, you know what, I've, I've got my 2.5 biological children, and so I'm responsible for their spiritual development, but that's kind of about it. That is a wrong understanding, as we're going to see this morning, of, of who we have a responsibility toward. We who are believers have responsibility to, to meet the spiritual needs, not only of our children, not only of the children in our community of faith, the church, our local church, but we also have a responsibility to meet the spiritual needs of children throughout the world. And yet another reason that I think there's sometimes spiritual impoverishment among children is because we who are Christians just, we don't know how to meet those needs. We, we know how to physically give a child something. They're hungry, here you go, here's something to eat. But whenever we encounter children who are spiritually impoverished, sometimes we have no idea what to do in those circumstances and, and the reason may be that we're spiritually impoverished ourselves. We're here in Deuteronomy 6, and here in Deuteronomy 6, it's, it's an incredible passage. It's, it's a passage that really is, as I've said, it's, it's the heart of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the heart of the Pentateuch, which is the, the heart of the Old Testament. What we encounter here in Deuteronomy 6 helps us understand everything else that we've talked about in the Pentateuch. Understanding Deuteronomy 6, that our responsibility is to, is to know and to love God, understanding that helps us understand everything else. It helps us understand all the stipulations about when to work and how to work and how to make restitution and how to offer sacrifices and um, you know how to treat one another. All those things that we encounter in the Pentateuch, we understand in light of Deuteronomy 6. And what's interesting to me is that Deuteronomy 6, it tells us to, to love God with all our heart, our soul, our strength. Deuteronomy 6 doesn't take place in a passage where Moses is, is just talking to leaders. And saying, okay, leaders, here it is. I've told everybody a lot of stuff. Now you guys are the leaders, and so I'm going I'm to give you like the heart of the whole thing so we can get the leaders to understand this. It doesn't occur in the context of him starting like a seminary or something like that. Deuteronomy 6 that, that contains the heart of obedience 
to, to the law occurs in a passage that is largely about teaching children and communicating to children how to know and love God. That's very interesting to me, right? Here's the main thing that I want you to grasp as we go through the the message today. Here's here's the central idea. A, A church that loves God, a church that loves God, loves teaching children to love God. If we are a church that, that loves God, that is passionate about worshiping God and knowing God with our whole mind and, and heart and soul and strength, if that's true of us, then we are going to be passionate about helping children to, to know who God is and to love him. And what I want to do in our time together this morning is, is, is ask four questions and, and have the text help us understand the answers to these questions. And hopefully you will be encouraged as well as we go through this and understand what our obligation is to the children that we love. Here's the first question. Question number one. How can someone experience God's blessing? And look here at verses one through three. Hopefully you're still there in Deuteronomy six. And, and look at verses one through three. Moses says, now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Remember, this is in the context of Moses delivering three sermons, and these three sermons are explaining all the statutes and laws and regulations that have been given. He says, then verse 3, Here, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So how can someone, according to these first three verses, how can someone experience God's blessing? Well, they can experience God's blessing by fearing and obeying him. He says, I'm, I'm telling you these things, so you will do them, you'll obey. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord. Now, how does this relate to what we talked about last week? Remember the kind of flow chart we saw last week? You have to know God in order to love God. You have to love God in order to obey God. And you have to obey God in order to experience his blessings. So, know, love, obey, experience blessings. You can't experience blessings apart from obedience. You can't say, well, I'm going to live in disobedience, but hopefully I'll experience his blessing. You can't experience his blessing apart from obedience. But you can't obey him if you don't love him. And you can't love him if you don't know him. It's right in line with what we see here in these first three verses. I'm teaching you these commandments by which you can understand all the rest of the commandments. And God's giving you these instructions so that you can fear him, love him, obey him. You say, okay, well, Daniel, what does it mean to experience God's blessing? Well, what's happening in these first three verses? There's long days, so you experience the, the longevity of life. But it's not like long days in a waiting room doing things you don't like. Uh, This is long days in a a wonderful place. He's going to put you in a good place and you're going to experience a long time in that good place. So here in Deuteronomy, it's it's this this wonderful land. In fact, the, the way that he describes the land and what's going to happen there is in many ways, a reversal of the curse. So the land was cursed. There's a bad relationship with God. Now the, there's going to be good land, good relationship with God, great place, long days in that good place. 
But there's some other things that I think in our culture are hard to see and grasp that are taking place here. And maybe it's one of the reasons that we're so bad at children's ministry. If I were to ask you, are you successful? And you were to say yes or no, and then I were to say why or why not, what would you say? Maybe some of you say, well, you know what, I feel like I am successful because, you know, I had these three career objectives and I, I reached this I reached this status and so I, I feel like, or I'm on track to reach this status that I want to when I retire or whenever I reach whatever goal. So I, career-wise, I feel like I'm, I'm a success. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm in school and I'm, I'm doing some things academically and so I, I'm not where I want to be academically so I don't feel like I'm successful right now. Or maybe you would say, oh, hold on, hold on, I'm going to be super spiritual here. Um, I have these spiritual goals, and I'm reaching these spiritual goals, and so I feel like I'm successful because of my, my spiritual life. Now, here's, here's the issue. We are part of a very individualistic culture. The North American mindset is incredibly self-centered, individualistic focused. In other words, I define success based upon how I personally am doing. So if, if I have reached this goal in the company, then I am successful. If, if I have achieved this goal in my relationship with God, then I have achieved success and blessing. We define blessing, success in very individualistic terms. That's not how other cultures understand success, and it's also not how Scripture defines success. What does it say here? There's, there's two things I want you to notice about the type of success that is experienced here. First of all, notice that it's multi-generational. I, I want you to be able to teach these things to your son and your son's sons. And so in, in this understanding, I, I have not achieved the fullness of the blessing I desire to achieve if it's just me and my children don't experience this. If I go into the land and I experience the, the, the beauty of this land, but my kid doesn't get to experience it, or my grandchild doesn't get to experience it, then, then I haven't achieved the fullness of the blessing of God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, that's not too difficult for us to understand. I think we can kind of make that connection. But here's something even more profound that it's hard for us to, to wrap our individualistic minds around. Not only is this multi-generational, I can't have success if the other generations don't achieve success, the fullness of, of blessing, but it's also not just my individual children, biological children. You know, in other words, sometimes we read this passage and it says, you and your sons and your son's sons, and I think, oh, you, Daniel Bennett, and your sons, and you're their So I'm thinking about it very individualistic, very nuclear family. That's not what Moses is talking about here. It's not what God is talking about through Moses. This is your children and your children's children. In other words, not only is it multi-generational, it's also communal. The entire community of faith needs to achieve this success. If the people that I am in relationship with in the community of faith also don't achieve the blessings that God has designed for them to achieve, then I also feel that loss. 
My goal is not just to help my, myself experience God's blessing. It's not just my individual child. It's, it's children. It's community of faith. And as we see throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the idea here, this is, this is where it gets even bigger. The idea here is not just that Israel would experience blessing, but the idea is that Israel would experience blessing. The nations would see the blessing. The nations would experience God's blessing as well as they see God bless Israel. In other words, there is a global outreach, a global focus of this blessing. Now, how does this relate to the church? Have we been blessed, right? Absolutely. Ephesians chapter 1, what, is, what does Ephesians 1 tell us as, as uh, Paul begins that Epistle, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We've received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And then he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You and I have been recipients of the blessing of being received into the family of God. And now, by God's grace, what do we want? We want other people to experience that blessing as well. It's not just enough that I have a, a biological child and I say, okay, I want this biological child to, to be successful. No, as I'm part of the community of faith, I say, I love God, therefore I have the same heart that God has. Remember in chapter 5, it talks, it says, I wish that you'd have this heart always, that you and your generations would know me and love me. He wants the nations to be blessed. I have the same heartbeat that God has, not just to see me happy, not just to see my child happy, but to see the people who are part of my community of faith have children who who are my children as well, who know and love God, and, and then that beyond our own church, that the children of the world would come into relationship with God and be able to worship him. That's the heartbeat of God, and if I love God, that's my heartbeat too. Here's the second question. How? How can I help children walk in obedience to God? We're going to talk about each of these individually, but... But the answer here, as we've read the, the Shema already, what, what do we see? The answer is by three things, knowing, loving, and sharing God. We're going to talk about each of those, but the big answer, how do I help children to walk in obedience to God? By knowing him, by loving him, and by sharing him. By knowing, loving, and sharing God. So let's talk about the first thing here. You need to know God. Why is it necessary to know God? Look, look, it says here in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, is one. And that, that statement there is, is one of the most important statements in all of Scripture to understand who God is. It's, it's necessary here, as the people instruct their children in who God is, that they first know who God is. In the culture in which they're going, they could go from town to town, and each town would have a, a little bit of a different understanding as to who the local gods were. So you, you might use some of the same names from town to town or village to village, but their perception of who that god was and the type of things that he or she or that pantheon of deity would be interested in, it's going to change from region to region, town to town, family to family. But what, what is God saying? He's saying, no, there is a unity and a uniqueness to me. I'm one, 
and I'm, I'm unique. There are no other gods you can worship besides me. And as we saw from Deuteronomy 4, who I am is based upon what you've seen me do and what I've revealed about myself to you through my word. In other words, before you can disciple children, before you can help them know how to walk in obedience to God, you have to know who God is, right? You have to know who God is. It's like whenever my kids come up to me, and I don't know why they still do this because they know how it's going to go, but they'll say, hey, Dad, uh, in fact, just this last week, a kid came up to me, uh, Dad, uh, can, can you help me with this math problem? And I say, no, I can't. Uh, maybe they just like exposing my ignorance. But um, I say, no, I, I can't. Ask your mother. She's, she's the math major. I, can, I kind of understand with the math, but you know, mom knows this way better than I do. If a child comes up to you and wants to know some things about walking in obedience to God, what, what must be true? You have to know some things about God. You have to know who he is. You have to know about his works, what he's done what he loves, what he hates. You have to know God. Secondly, you have to love God. Why isn't it enough just to, to know a whole bunch of things about, about God? A kid comes to me and says, hey, uh, what does God think about this? Well, let me tell you. you know, give him some sort of theological answer. Why must there be more? Your child can't just have factual information about God. They need to know what it looks like to walk in, in worship and devotion to him. Notice how he describes love of God here. He says, um, he says in, in, in verse, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, in the kind of Hebrew perception here, there, there's a, an intellectual understanding of who God is and, and decision making. And then there's a, the essence of, of self, who you are, the core of your being, and then all of your physical body. Every aspect of you is, is committed to and devoted to worship of Yahweh God. That's what love means. It's not just you shall love God like you, you have like a big uh, heart that has a Bible verse. And it doesn't mean you just kind of say a lot of Christian things in your home. Loving God means being de- devoted in, in your, the core of your being to worship of who God is. You have to love him. And, and nothing, nothing can replace this part of discipleship. I mean, you can... You can know all the theology that you want. You can teach your children out of the Wayne Grudem systematic theology book every night the rest of their lives. You can have your child catechize everything. You can have them memorize every Bible verse in the Awana book. And if you don't love God, your discipleship is not going to be as effective as God has called it to be. The kids you shepherd in your home or in the church can tell what you really love. I have a kid, one of my children is just really blunt. Just, he just kind of says what he, what he thinks about whatever it is that is going on. And he's also very insightful sometimes. So he'll sometimes say things to me, like I'll, I'll mention something and he just says, Hey man, you, you really love spreadsheets, huh? <laughs> Showing him something I spread. You, you really love spreadsheets, huh, Dad? Or Dad, you really, uh, you really like checking things off on a to-do list, don't you, huh? Dad, you, you really love exercise. Dad, Dad, you really, you really like to watch TV. Um, Dad, 
in this, you know, just kind of. Dad, you, you sometimes don't like people very much, huh? <laughs> to which I always argue back. I'm like, well, no, I mean, I'm, I don't watch that much TV. I rarely watch TV just when I have time. I watch, you know, or, uh, you know I don't love, sp- who loves spreadsheets? And he always does this. He just, uh, he just looks at me and just raises one eyebrow like this. <laughs> okay, Dad. You know. Kids can tell what you love. Recently, he, he uh, went on the weekend retreat with the, the youth. Another great opportunity to speak in the lives of children. He went to, went to the weekend retreat with the youth and came back. And I asked him, I said, hey, what did you learn, buddy? And he says, well, um, you know, one of the things I was struck with is, is you kind of remind me of, of Job. You know, Job really loved shepherding his family spiritually. And, and you seem to really love that, too. I'll take that. <laughs> it's pretty good. I hope that's true. Right? Your children can tell what you love. It's convicting. And, and sometimes you don't even realize that you're betraying what you love. But our, our children, what, what they're doing is this. Our children, the children in your life, the children who are part of the, the community of faith, the children that you're working with in the, the children's ministry and youth group, the children you bring in your home through safe families, Children are looking at you and determining how much to value God. They are understanding by looking at you what it means to to worship and value God. It's very convicting. So we know God, we love God, and then we share God. We share God. This must be something that is part of our life. It's, it's not just about sharing God with, with, the, with biological children that you may or may not have, but, but seeing all children come to, to know and to love Jesus Christ. And you look at verse 7, and verse 7 here in Deuteronomy 6 kind of shows you the, the extremes of, of place and time. So when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, so that's, that's everywhere. And when you lie down and when you rise, so that's the beginning or the end of the evening to the to the beginning of the day it's it's all time so everywhere at all times you're communicating truths about who god is then he gives all these different examples of of how god's word is to be uh is to be fused into the very core of your being and your life and as you go and you live now what's the application for us the obvious application is that that you and i need to be if, if we're for parents, you need to be engaged in discipling your children. Or grandparents, you're discipling your children. We, that's how we think individualistically. But this, this passage goes far more, uh, it's far, far more reaching than that, right? It means if, if you're a young single person, that God has called you to, to be able to find ways in which you can know God and love God and, and share God. If you're a, a couple, a young couple, it means that God has, has called you, hey, find ways in which you can, can come alongside other parents and, and let, their, let their kids have other people who love them. Maybe it means getting involved in the youth ministry or in the children's ministry. And I will tell you, as a parent of children who are in or entering the teen years, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest blessings in my life as a parent has been those of you who are involved in the children's ministry and the youth ministry, and specifically those of you in the youth ministry right now who, as my kids are getting a little bit older, want they, they need someone else to come alongside them and say, yeah, this what your parents are telling you is true, and, and someone that they can, can talk to about some of these things as well. 
It's a huge blessing, and God has called us to be a part of that. God has called some of you, perhaps, to even after today, to call up Debbie Joe and say, hey, I, I want to get involved in caring for our young children, or maybe call, uh, send Phil or uh, send Scott an email, say, hey, I want to get involved in the youth ministry, or go out to the, the table here after service and say, hey, I, I want to open up my home. I want to be a, a safe family. I want to be able to place, my home to be a place where kids who are having parents who are struggling can just kind of come here and be in a safe place so I can share the love of God with them and their parents by God's grace. Here's the third question. Third question is this, what is the, what is the, one of the biggest obstacles, one of the biggest dangers I face in helping children pursue God? What's one of the biggest dangers I face in helping children pursue God. And look at verses 10 through 19. It describes, it describes what happens as God gives them the land. When the Lord your God brings you to the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full... So this is a time when they've received the physical blessings that God has, God has given them. Things they didn't earn. It says, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God who you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God and your is... Uh, the, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in the land and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Now, what does this mean? What is one of the biggest dangers I face in helping children pursue God? Well, that I would forget who he is and live in disobedience to him. One of the biggest dangers I face in helping children pursue God is that I would forget him and that I would walk in disobedience. What this describes here is, is a person who experiences the physical blessing and, and forgets to love God and know who he is. It's interesting, right? Like, what's one of the biggest things we, we pray for our children and worry about for our children? What's, it's often physical provision. You know, I want to provide for this this physical thing for them. And I want to, we, we, a lot of times we just, we pray for affluence when, when in reality, the wealth of material things can be something that causes a, a child to forget who God is. Now, there are many reasons that children walk in disobedience to God. And, and when it, when that happens to children within the community of faith, all of us mourn that, Right? But let me, just, let me just offer this as something that should convict us and motivate us to, to love God even more deeply. I, I was talking to some teachers 
some time ago and teachers here at Washington Community High School and, and they mentioned that sometimes parents fear how influential teachers are. And, and the, the teachers said to me, said, you know, really, really we're not, we're not that influential, which is exactly what they want you to think. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just joking. They said, in reality, parents, parents have no idea Parents have no idea how influential they are. You know, even children who rebel, I was reading a sociologist talk about this, even children who rebel are rebelling against a worldview that their parents have constructed. In other words, they're not rebelling against some worldview that no one else, that they've never heard of. They're rebelling against a worldview that their parents have created for them. And so they describe, that even if they describe themselves in terms opposite than who their parents are, they're still using their parents as a reference point. And what's even more funny is often they have a misconception of who their parents are and they're really turning into their parents even as they think they're rebelling. It's, it's very interesting, right? But the, the, the point is this. Our children are far more effective than our, affected by our values and beliefs than we realize. And sometimes, and again, I'm just, I wanna, this isn't always the case, but I, I want to just put it here for us to be convicted by. Oftentimes... When we think, oh, our, my children are rejecting my belief in God, the children within our community of faith are rejecting what we teach about God and are adopting values contrary to the values we hold, let me suggest to you that that may not be the case. They may be rejecting against the values we say that we hold and embracing the values we truly do hold. Because we really love the world and we really love the things of the world. And yeah, we go to church and our, our, parent, our children may be rejecting this body, but they're not really rejecting what we, we truly love. It's, it's a sobering thing for us to think about as a community of faith. Are we, as, as the mature people who are part of this community of faith, are we communicating to children in our church a love and a passion for God? I can be one of the biggest obstacles to helping a child pursue God. Fourth question here. And, and by the way, I, I want to say more about what's here in question four, but I'm not going to be able to get to it this morning uh, very deeply. But in our March parenting conference, I hope to unpack some of these things a, a little bit more. Fourth question is this. What truths should our children learn as they see our family obey God? And by children, our children, I mean ch our children in a very broad sense. And our family, I mean our family within the local church context. Let me read what happens next, and, and this, I think, is one of the most beautiful passages on discipling children in all of Scripture. Look at verse 20. And by the way, a couple, a couple assumptions here. One assumption is that a child is going to feel comfortable talking to you, and again, one of the beautiful things about our local church community of faith is that my children have people that they can say things like this to. And the other assumption is that you are a person who's walking in obedience to God, that the child comes to ask this question of. So, verse 20, when your, ch when your son comes uh, to you in time and asks you, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of 
Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. What truths should our children learn as they see our family obey God? Our children should learn truths about the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ as they see us obey God. Our children, as they see us obey God, should be pointed to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's, there's three things that I want to just touch on that, you should, that should happen when, when a child talks to you about obeying God's rules. Notice three things here. So the scenario, a child comes up and he says, why do you obey God? Or maybe they, they put it this way, why, you know, why don't we watch these types of movies? Or why do we have um, this type of, of rules about our, our phones or our iPods or whatever? There's three important things as we respond to children in those circumstances. They see our lives and what we do. Number one, we talk about who God is, right? We talk about who God is. What does he say? You say to your, your, your son, look, we were Pharaoh's slaves and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and you showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, so, so that you point to the fact that God is a God who saves. So first thing, you talk about who God is. He's, he's mighty, he saves, he's good. Then the second thing you do, okay, so why do we have these rules? One, here's who God is. Secondly, here's what he's told us to do. Here's what he wants us to do, verse 24, the first part of verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. So here's who God is. He's a God who saves, and he's a God who has given us instructions. And these things that we're doing right now are not just, these are kind of nilly-willy things we want to do. These are things that we believe that God has instructed us to do. And let's say you're a parent, and some of your rules aren't necessarily tied to specific biblical instructions. You say, this is what our family is doing based upon what God has commanded us to do. So you can always tie what you're telling your children to do back to what God has commanded us to do. And then the third thing, so it's, it's who God is, it's what he wants us to do, and it's why he wants us to do them. Look at verse 24 and verse 25. It's to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us. That is, the heart that's transformed by the gospel can do these things and experience the righteousness of God in them if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he's commanded us. Hey, here's who God is. Here's what he wants us to do. And here's why he wants us to do it. He doesn't want us to do it because he's some sort of God who loves to see people cry. Now eat your vegetables. He is a God who wants good and precious things for his children. Now eat your vegetables, right? So you should be able to do this, you should be able to talk about these three things with any instruction you give to, to a child in the youth group, in the children's ministry, and when they come in from safe families. You say, look, God is a God who saves. He's a good God who, who delivered me. Maybe, maybe your child asks you, why don't we go see that movie? A teenager says, why don't we go see the movie? Look, the reason we don't is because God has saved your, your dad from, from sin. And God has commanded 
us to not look upon things that, that aren't, that aren't, um, that are going to cause us to, to think wrongly about, for example, sexuality or immorality. God wants us to be careful about how we think about those things. And the reason, why does he want to do that? Because he wants you to have a good life. He wants you to have a good relationship with your spouse. He wants you to not be, uh, not be drawn into the, the bondage of, of sin. And so God wants good things for you. Now, you see what I'm saying? What truths should our children learn as they see our family obey God? They should learn about how good God is, who he is, what he wants them to do, and why he wants them to do it. Because he wants them to enjoy life and blessing. Ah, so much more there. I'm going long, but the people who are in children's ministry right now heard this first service. So I'm sure they love children right now, and um, they're excited about being with them. There are so many opportunities for our church to be obedient here. No matter where you are in life, you're, you're a child, you have the, the ability now to respond in tr- to the truth of the gospel. If you're a, a person making that transition from childhood to adulthood, you have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to commit my life to the Lord and be a person that, that communicates the gospel to others. If you're a, a single person, you have the opportunity by God's grace to be involved in speaking the truth into the lives of children who are part of this community of faith that you are a part of as well. The individualistic mindset of, of our culture is not in step with the gospel. If you're a couple who doesn't have children, that are your own biological children, you have many avenues by God's grace to say, look, these, these children are my children. It's interesting that, well, I'm going too far, too deep. Talk more about that in March. But the bottom line is, is this. All of us are part of this community of faith, and we have the children that God has entrusted to us within our individual families, within the family of God, and throughout the world. And all of us should be passionate about it because we love God, seeing children come into relationship with God and worship his son, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Am I, are we going to sing after this? We'll go, okay, we'll go. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the life we have in his name. We pray that you, by your grace, would help us to uh, live in obedience. Help us, Lord, there are children in our lives that, that you've, you've placed there. We pray that we would be faithful uh, to seek them out, to be people that they would uh, come to, to to understand who you are more. Help us to, to be uh, diligent in this, this ministry through the grace of your son Jesus working through us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.